0: Well, the last couple of weeks, we've been praying right before the sermon, and we're going to keep doing that because we are reaching out to our God for things that we're concerned about. I do want to say amazing news. Um, uh, Adam Albrick, the officer we've been praying for, is home without oxygen. So, yeah, we can pray for that. We're so grateful for that. And um, I know that, um, you know, God is doing something in these things when we don't understand, like that second song, you know, God's always at work even when we don't understand it. And know why and all that, but he's at work. So, very grateful for that. Um, Another uh, Thanksgiving is that um, the Powells got a house this week, and I don't think Jonathan and Heather have been in Ukraine for 22 years. And people want all this paperwork for um, you know to buy a house, and they're like, "You've been where, and you don't have any." way of showing what you've paid rent in this country. How does that work? And so, but God worked out an amazing thing for them, and they got a house um, the other night. So we're very grateful to God for answering that prayer as well. Yeah, we can clap for that. <clears throat> um, but, but our sister, um, Carla Queen, a lot of y'all know, um, had a stroke this week, and um, uh, it's uh, very touch and go. Uh, she's in critical condition at Grady, and we want to specifically uh, pray for her this morning. Um, she's very special, Um, she'll tell you herself, she used to change my diaper when I was a baby in the church, (laughs) Um, but just to somebody so full of life, and and so we want to pray, a lot of her family's here this morning, we want to continue to pray for Alan, and um, obviously Matt and Kelly, and Shannon, Jody, and I see um, Joan, her mama, Fred and Kelly here, Karen, Barry, and See, Holly, Garrett, and Josh, I know I'm missing some folks, but y'all got such an amazing family, and we love you guys and so sorry. So they're right there in that section, y'all. So if y'all are around them, put a hand on them, but we're going to pray for them right now, specifically for Carla. Let's, Let's do that. Lord, we are grateful for you, and we're so thankful that Adam is better and at home. We're so thankful that you brought the Powells here and brought them a house the other night. And so we praise your name, Father. You heard our prayers. You answered those prayers. And, and we want to acknowledge that. And, uh, so, Father, we know you're the God of healing. You're the great physician. And, Father, I pray what I've been praying for several days now. I share with the family that you will continue to baffle the doctors to say, we don't have any explanation for this except for God and a miracle with Carla. I don't care what they say medically. I don't care what they say as doctors. They don't know who you are. And what you can do in spite of all of that. So we pray that you'll continue to reveal yourself to them and to this family. And so we just pray. uh, You created her brain. You can heal her brain. And that's what we pray for this morning, Father. And we pray for this sweet family who loves her so much. Give them your peace that passes all understanding. That's what we're talking about this morning. And we just pray that you will do that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, before we start today, obviously yesterday was 9-11, and I know a lot of y'all remember that, and I want to say before, we're going to show a clip, but just before we show that, um, one of our, uh, another sweet lady, Julie White, if y'all came in this morning, you probably saw some flags in the shape of 9-11, and Julie has been through her own loss this year, and um, and really struggling losing her husband, but she came up yesterday and put all those flags in the churchyard and wants us to remember. So thank you, Julie, for doing that. Hopefully, she's watching. Yeah, we clap for that. <clears throat> but I just got a little clip I want to show to help us uh, uh, think about 9 11 right quick.
1: <clears throat> Most of us remember that day, it's etched in our minds, a permanent reminder. Of tragedy we all watched helplessly as lives were lost heroes were born and a nation was forever changed the loss was unimaginable the sorrow unbearable but through that pain we witnessed the resolve of a nation we saw chaos give birth to courage fear transform into fortitude and destruction give way to determination. In the midst of the brokenness, freedom stood immovable. Today, we remember those we lost. We honor the heroes who saved so many and grieve with the families who have suffered so much. It's been 20 years, but we still remember, and we will never forget.
0: So what were your feelings on that day? You know, I thought about um, CCF West Georgia being here today, and I was joking in the first service, some of y'all weren't even born yet. Um, some of you, you kids here, I remember having a two-year-old at home and one on the way and thinking, what in the world is going on? What, what kind of world am I getting ready to bring these kids into? Um, it was a scary time. I mean, a lot of questions. How did this happen? How could this happen? We're the most powerful country in the world. Um, how did this happen? Why? Who's responsible for this? And it did remind us, didn't it, that we're not in control like we think we are. We're not safe like we think. An enemy had been watching us, and we really didn't even recognize it. They were watching us, waiting to do this for for literally uh, years, months, leading up to this. And they had systematically plotted evil to harm us, and specifically against us as a nation. And so many people, if you remember watching that, I remember where I was, I remember going from... uh, Rhonda, you mentioned Atlanta Christian College. I was over there that morning and all of a sudden this stuff's coming on and my wife, I'm talking to her on the phone and I'm like, she goes, are you you seeing this? I'm like, well, I'm in the car, but I'm hearing it on the radio. What in the world? What do you see? I remember going to church and um, our uh, guy who took care of our building for years and years over in East Point, uh, George Cohen, me and him found a TV and we're just staring there with our mouths open going, what in the world is happening in our country right now? And so many people were in a a state of fear and despair and anxiety as they watched all this stuff that was happening. But other people didn't have time to do that. They acted, and they acted quickly. They didn't have time to answer or even ask some of those questions we were all asking. They didn't have time to get in touch with their feelings and what they were feeling at the moment. They just jumped into save and help people mode, and they did, didn't they? A lot of first responders did that. And so the anxious people who were watching the horrible events unfold, a lot of us, we had slowly saw our anxious hearts and minds turn to grateful hearts as we saw these first responders and people moving forward to help people and save people and motivated hearts and minds to do something to help it we said what can we do and and people started acting all over the country and I'll be honest those days those weeks those months that followed the attacks were some of the most inspiring and encouraging times in this country there were not divisions of red and yellow black and white like it was last summer all the craziness there wasn't Democrat or Republican when they were trying to save people. There wasn't this gender dysphoria stuff going on. It was just there were humans that need our help and I don't care who it is. We're going to step in and we're going to help them. That's what you do. And it brought unity, it brought peace, it brought understanding, it brought this sense of hope in the midst of evil and death, didn't it? We felt that. You remember if you were like when you went to the store there was just something different about the feeling in our country that man, we're in this together. And somebody evil is trying to harm us and has harmed us. And there have many lessons learned since that time about ourselves and our world, but there have been many of those lessons we've forgotten over the last 20 years. Now, I know some of you younger people go, Yeah, you know, I've heard about this, but you know, when I heard my grandparents talk about World War II, when I was younger, I used to think, Yeah, you know, well, that was, you know, old people, whatever, you know. But the older I got, I go, Man, that was significant. World War II was a life, world changing event. And I'm so glad they didn't let me forget about it because I know about it because they talked about it and they passed that on to me and said, don't forget about this. This was important. There was an evil ruler, Hitler, and all this stuff that was going on and it had to be stopped. And so I'm glad somebody, and so I hope that we're presenting to y'all that weren't alive at the time when we were very little that this is important. Don't forget this. It's important. There have been many lessons. So when I see never forget, it's a reminder of more than just Terrorists crashing planes into buildings. It's more than that. It's also a reminder of how we should always, always, always pull together in the time of need. That's what humans do. That's when we're most like our father. When we pull together and help each other out. And the apostle Paul lived in a difficult time himself. There was evil. There was persecution. There was an evil Roman empire that ruled the world in his time. But Paul... And he was even held a a prisoner this time. But Paul didn't let that situation, he didn't let all of those things that were going on make him cynical. He had a big picture perspective, didn't he? A big picture perspective in Christ. He knew it wasn't enough for Rome couldn't take away the sins of the world. Paul couldn't take away the sins of the world. But he knew the Savior that could. And he believed and he never stopped talking about that Savior. He continued to speak and to write the words of truth and hope through sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. And Paul experienced and believed that love of Christ could transform any person in any situation. Because Paul says, it transformed me. It completely changed my life, and I will never stop talking about how it can transform and change other people's lives and their situations. So we've been reading in the last few weeks through this letter to the Jesus followers at a place called Philippi. And we've heard some profound teaching that's certainly applicable for us today. And I just want to kind of quickly do a little review. Paul starts in the first of his letters saying, God, the God who began a good work in you and in me will carry it out to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. He gives us that hope, the big picture. He's carrying out a work in all of us. Change, hard times had had actually helped advance the gospel message. He goes, yeah, I'm in prison writing you this letter. Yeah, I'm surrounded by Roman guards. I'm in chains. But that has actually helped the gospel go out even further. These these guys that are around me, they're getting to hear about Jesus. That never would have happened if I wasn't here. And Paul recognized that. And then Paul says a a statement that's hard for us to even fathom when he says to live is Christ, to die is gain. He goes, man, I want to die and be with Jesus forever. But there's work to do. More people need to hear and know about Jesus. So I'm going to keep preaching that. And he kept doing that. And then he says, whatever happens, he says, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. And that's what this whole letter to them is about. Always conduct yourselves worthy of the gospel. Remember that. And he said, your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ. And in that second chapter, amazingly, how he talks about what kind of attitude, what mindset that Jesus had all the way to the cross. And then he said things like this. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's a process. It doesn't happen overnight. And then he says, do everything without grumbling and complaining. Because we tend to do that. And he says, I consider everything a loss compared to knowing Christ. And he says, I want to know Christ. I want to know the power of his resurrection in my life. And so Paul was just, man, he was passionate about that. He wanted to know Christ more. And he wanted others to know Christ. And then last week we talked about what he says, forgetting what is behind me. My old life of being a Pharisee and a, you know, a, a legalist. Um, trying to keep up all things, somehow thinking I could earn my way to heaven. That's all in my past, and I press toward that goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So today we're going to press on and pursue more of the joy that Paul is trying to get his readers to understand in the midst of a difficult time. He wants them to understand it and to embrace it. So we're going to look at chapter 4. And the first part of this is a little unusual. Paul's actually calling out a couple of people in this congregation. And then he's going to get to the heart of how we deal with our anxious hearts and minds. So listen to what he says here. Thank you all for having that up. In uh, chapter 4, verses 2. I plead with Eudia. And I plead with Sintica, and I probably butchered their name, sorry, to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. So let's kind of unpack that a little bit. In the first couple of verses there, Paul addresses a situation in that church That seems to be known throughout that community. He's hinted at this in his letter earlier. That there's some disunity going on. And that shouldn't be a part of those who are followers of Jesus. But everybody in this community knows about this. Paul is 700 miles away in Rome. But he knows, he's gotten word that, man, there's these two ladies and they're fighting over something. We don't know what it was. We don't know how significant it was, but it was significant enough to cause some disunity. And those two ladies had, had been having this, and we don't know from the letter exactly what it is, but it, like I said, it caused some disunity. So Paul names them, he calls them out, and keep in mind, this letter was to be read in front of the whole church. Can you imagine how awkward that was? Hey, we got a letter from Paul, and everybody gathers around, including these two ladies... <laughs> Then all of a sudden, he calls them out. I mean, can you imagine if Paul came into this church for, uh, I don't know, three months and did a, as a consultant and says, hey, Paul, tell us what's going on with Southwest. What are some things you see that we need to, to work on? And Paul writes us a letter and sends it to us. And then I get up and I go, hey, I'm going to read this. And I go, oh, wow, there's two names. And I got to read them out loud in front of everybody that have been causing problems. That would be awkward. But they do it Anyway. And although Paul names them, I want you to realize, we need to realize what Paul doesn't do. He doesn't put them down, does he? He doesn't humiliate them. He doesn't take sides. He doesn't say, well, she's right and she's wrong or, or you're both wrong or anything like that. He just says, y'all need to agree in the Lord. Y'all may need to agree to disagree on whatever it is you're fighting about, but you need to agree in the Lord about those things. You need to have the mindset of Christ like I talked about in the first part of the letter. In the, in the Christian churches who we're a part of, the restoration movement, we have this, these sayings that I think are very um, important. It says, in matters of essentials, we absolutely have to be unified in the church. But in matters of opinion, we need to have liberty and grace. But in all things, we have to have love. And that's so true. And that's kind of what Paul's saying. Don't let this disagreement cause disunity in the body. Be like minded on what matters. Have the same mindset, the same attitude of Jesus Christ, Paul seems to be saying. And then he says, if you noticed in there, he says, he asked his true companion. Now, whether this is an actual person that he's not naming or it's the church, the church at Philippi as his true companion, because he, this is one of his most loved churches. He started them from scratch. He went through a lot of, uh, you know, uh, difficult things with them. And he loves them. And as as I thought about West Georgia again today, you came today to thank us for our support. Paul was saying, y'all are my true companion. They had supported him financially and prayerfully. They had relationship with him. And so he's saying, if you're my true companion, he says, help these women out. Don't let them solve this by themselves. You need to step in and not ignore it. Because that's what we tend to do sometimes. Oh, man, those people are fighting. Just run away from them act like it's not happening. No, we need to deal with that. Don't pretend that conflict does not exist, but help each other out through the conflict. And Paul mentions and even commends these women along with someone named Clement, who obviously was well-respected in this church as well. And he's saying, these ladies, although they've been fighting, they're on the same level with Clement, and they have contended with me for the gospel. They are valuable. They're an important part of the body. We're not just going to kick them out. No, they need to get this straightened out, and you need to help them as the body of Christ. And conflict happens, doesn't it? Even in the church, even in campus ministry, right, Rhonda? It happens. And you got to deal with it. And you always, if you do it in the right way, in love, it turns out better, doesn't it? It always does. And these are valuable people in the Christian community. And Paul says their names are written in the book of life. What's the book of life? Well, we hear it here, but when John writes his letter of revelation that he got from God, he mentions the book of life or the Lamb's book of life over six times in that letter of revelation. That means there's a book that God says, and when you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior and name him Lord of your life, your name is written in that book. Well, that's just figurative. No, I believe it's real. And I'm thankful my name's written in it, aren't you? We need it written in that book. And Paul said, they are. They're not perfect because they're fighting. But their names are written in in the Lamb's book of life. And I know that. And he's saying And he says, they've contended with me for the gospel. They've been helping people know the story of Jesus. So he says it's not all a bad thing, but in that word contended in the Greek is a military or a gladiator type terms y'all remember the, the movie Gladiator? with Russell Crowe, and I remember this one scene in the movie, it's pretty gruesome, I know, but there's one scene where they're thrown out there, and there's these guys with chariots that are surrounding them, and he's in there with some other gladiators, and if you remember, he says, we're all going to go to the center, and we're going to back up against each other so nobody can get behind us. They were in this stance, back to back to back, if you remember, contending with each other. We know that we're surrounded by evil, but we've got each other's back. And he's saying that's the kind of term he's using, saying these ladies are a valuable part of the church, but let's help them get to where they need to be. They are true followers. They're justified through Christ. They're written in the book of life, but let's take care of this conflict. So that's the first part. And then he goes in, to how do we conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel again. And so as he's thinking about these things, and Paul's, you know, I think Paul's kind of got a little bit of ADD maybe, you know, because he just, in some of his letters, he's all over the farm. But he basically goes back. Here's how we conduct He goes, rejoice in the Lord always. And it's almost like he says, whoever's writing this or if he's writing himself, no, make sure you put an exclamation point on the next one. And again, I say rejoice. You need to rejoice. Why is he... Eh, Why is he emphasizing rejoice here? Because you know what? He feels anxiety in this church in Philippi among the Jesus followers. And he wants for the community not to see Christians as anxious people who were worried all the time. He wants them to see as people who are evident by their gentleness, even in the midst of difficult situations. Their calming attitude and trust, even when things are very difficult. And here's Paul's prescription for anxiety And to have that gentleness or calming nature. Y'all know that kind of person? It's not me. (laughs) I freak out. But there's people who in the midst of a very difficult situation are calming. If I could use this illustration. um, I don't mean to embarrass my daughter. But she had a pretty horrific wreck this week. And came out okay. And there were a couple of very calming people at that accident scene. That I thank God that God put at that scene for a specific purpose. To help calm my daughter and other people in that thing. And that's. I go, man, that's, and as I was studying, for that's what Paul's talking about. Your gentleness, their gentleness was evident to everybody at that crash scene. And I'm thankful to God for those kind of people. But he says, don't be anxious. Now, the last thing we want to hear when we're anxious, the last thing when we're freaking out we want to hear is from somebody is, calm down, settle down, <laughs> relax. You don't want to hear that it just makes you angrier. You settle down. You don't understand, and we just get, oh, we get all upset about that. No one likes those phrases. But Paul says, don't be anxious, but he adds a but. But do this in every situation, and then he goes into this prayer and petition. I want to show you all this. So this sixth verse of Philippians 4, 6 um, was when I was 10 years old, so that's 45 years ago my Sunday school teacher from Southwest Christian Church who taught a bunch of 10-year-old boys, why would you want to do that? We probably weren't listening, you know. Um, but he, you know, took a word-burning thing and made one of these for every one of us in, our, in his class. And I still have it today, and I think, Wow. Mark Anderson was his name. His his mom and dad were godly people, part of our church, Sid and Sally Anderson. And Mark was my teacher, and he made this for me, and it sits on it So, man, I got, I got no excuses for this nonsense about having anxiety. I mean, he gave me the prescription on burned-in wood, Craig. Why are you not doing this? You know? But it's very special to me. But that's what Paul's saying. And he's saying, as you... What you need to do with thanksgiving, you need to present your request to God. You need to go to God in authentic conversation, actual conversation with God about your situation. But with thanksgiving, knowing that he hears you and giving the details, giving your request. That's what David did in the Psalms, didn't he? Man, when David, you read some of those, you go, man, he is angry. He wants those people dead. He's, he's he, you know, and God was okay. No, but ultimately, David found and felt That peace of God which transcends all understanding that guarded his heart and his mind and helped David get through those difficult times because he talked with God. And God will bring a peace that makes no sense and will guard your heart and mind, won't he? When you really pray with authenticity. Paul is maybe writing this while he's looking at the guard next to him who he's chained to. Or maybe he's seeing guards outside of the house where he's staying. And he's thinking guard. Guard is in his mind. He's going guard your heart. Guard your mind. These guards, these Roman guards are outside this house. So that I can't get out and do what I want to do with freedom. And they can't let people in unless they get cleared. So they're guarding me. So all of a sudden that's in his mind. Garden your hearts. This is what causes anxiety because our hearts are not guarded. Our minds are not guarded. And our minds and our hearts go to places that they shouldn't. Joy and anxiety are the complete opposites. And Paul is right warning, not anxious Christians but joyful Christians in the world. That's what he's trying to say to us. And I I want to say this, y'all, and I hope this isn't a bad thing. But I got to talk to Alan yesterday. And as I talked to Alan, Alan's just watched his wife have this stroke. And he doesn't know. know, I mean, just all this stuff that y'all are going through, I can't imagine. But Alan talked about this peace that he felt in the hospital room, where he felt the presence of the Holy Spirit. And all of a sudden, it was like something left the room. And he said color came back in his wife, and she moved her arm a little bit. I don't have any explanation, y'all, except for the Holy Spirit. But I could, he- <clears throat> I could hear in Alan's voice that that was real. And God was giving him hope through that moment. He was reminding Alan, I'm here. You don't know what's going to happen yet, Alan, but you know I'm here. And I could hear that in his voice. And that's exactly what Paul is talking about here. Don't be anxious, but be joyful. But our minds and our hearts and our souls are drawn towards anxiety. Even more comfortable with it, aren't we? What is that about? Some of us wear it like a badge of courage. Yeah, I'm a worrier. Isn't that great? I make everybody miserable. No, you really don't help things. Yeah, it's good to have Concern, but worry and anxiety and going, everybody's going, oh no, here they come. They're going to hear about it. That's not something we're supposed to have. What did Jesus say about worry? Don't. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. God will bring that that comfort to us. But we want to go in a different direction. Pastor Akshay Rajkumar, who's in India, says some amazing things about this passage. And I got a, uh, some really neat things from him. He says... He says, anxiety is what we feel when we're least in control. We think we're in control, but he says control is an illusion. On 9-11, we thought we were in control, but somebody else had gotten control of airplanes. It's an illusion. We want it. We pretend we have it, don't we? We want others to think we have it, hoping they won't find out that we really don't have control. I mean, even in our social media posts, we give the impression we have control, and we don't. We're exposed in tough times, aren't we? When we fall apart. Man, when I got that call from my daughter the other night, I was. Paul is reminding us God is near and God is in control. Even when you're not, even when things are out of control, God is there. No matter how much money you have, no matter how much power you have, success, connections, intelligence, we are still not in control. And that bugs us. We feel most anxious when we're least in control. We think like this. I'm not in control. And I should be. Because all these other idiots are not in control. And they don't know how to do the right thing. And we do this at our schools and our work and our families. I've got to be in control of the birthday party. I've got to be in control of the worship service. I've got to be in control of whatever it is at work. And we make everybody miserable. Because everything's out of control without me being in control. Stop. Paul's saying. We're anxious because we forget or we don't believe that God is really present in these situations. And Paul is saying, but God is present in these situations. He says, God is near. Remember that. And this same pastor says this. I love this quote. To the degree we are conscious of God's presence, we will have joy in the midst of fear. And his natural comfort will make us gentle, not harsh, not bitter, and not cynical. My gosh, man, the last year, have you heard some cynical people? That's because they have fear. That's because they're anxious, because they realize they're really not in control. I heard a couple of things this week. One is that high school students today, and I would even say it, it, it would go into college students, have, the, have so much anxiety. We've heard that. But they say compared to the 1950s, the average high school or college student has as much, anxi- as, as much anxiety as somebody in the 1950s did in a psychiatric ward. Now, I don't know how you measure that, but I was like, yeah, that's probably true. Rhonda, would you agree with that? Absolutely. And then neurological studies, though, this is is an interesting thing, too, have shown what happens inside of our brains when we have gratitude or joy and when we have anxiety and worry. And it says that it's when we see gratefulness or joy in someone, it's like a switch is flipped inside the brain, and there's this thing lights up. And you can see and they go, wow, that's interesting. But when someone's as anxious or worried, it's like that, that switch is flipped off and there's nothing but darkness. And the brain, they say through those studies, cannot process both anxiety and gratitude at the same time. Isn't that interesting? Now, God knows you and he knows me. And guess what? He knows our brain, doesn't he? Because he created it. He made it the way it is. I can't wait for these... Neurosurgeons to talk to God one day in heaven and go, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why you couldn't figure that out. This is how that works. And he created our brains in a way that the more we practice gratitude, the more we practice joy, the less anxiety we feel. So Paul gives us a pattern to follow when we feel anxious. Go to God in prayer, with gratitude, with thanksgiving. Talking to God authentically brings peace that transcends all understanding. And this is not an immediate tranquility with unicorns and rainbows. It's not what he's talking about. Sometimes that peace is like a ceasefire. You know what a ceasefire is? It's when two enemies are trying to kill each other in conflict. And they finally go, we got to stop. This is insane. And we have to lay down our weapons and surrender to God and His control. C.S. Lewis talked about this in his own life. He says, I thought I was in control. I pushed God away. I was like an enemy. And finally one day I laid down my arms and surrendered to God because he said, with my brilliant mind, I tried to disprove God, but God was proving that He was there. And Paul says it this way to the Colossian church talking about enemies. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds, there's that concept again, because of your evil behavior. But the good news is of the gospel, we have a God that while we were his enemy, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us he came in the flesh Jesus and Jesus died for us he came into the same broken sinful evil world that we lived in and he lived it with joy and he lived it with passion and he exemplified that conversation with God Jesus got anxious y'all but we read in Matthew Mark, Luke and John that Jesus would go out and pray for hours alone with the father because he felt that anxiousness and he says God I need to talk about this and can you imagine the prayers that Jesus had with God Keep me on track, God. I'm getting anxious. I'm forgetting what, my, what you've called me to do in this world. And I don't want to forget that. And he would go out all night and he would get with God and present those requests. And I know God heard him. And it guarded his heart and his mind. That's why the writer of Hebrews said this about Jesus. For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He could endure the cross because he goes, this is awful. This brings me anxiety. God, if we don't have to do this, not my will, but your will. But I know it's going to bring me joy when I see people being able to be freed from sin and being able to live with you eternally. And then Paul closes this section with what we should fill our minds with, what we should be thinking about. And he says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. The next time you and I feel anxious, we might ought to have this on a little sticky, right? Somewhere next to us where we can go, am I, is this real? You know? Is this true? Is it noble? Is it right? Is it pure? These things that I'm worried about and letting come into my mind. We need to remember the big picture perspective on our life and situation. And we let other things in. Why do I have these thoughts? Well, here's a question to answer that. What are you putting in? What are you letting into your mind and your heart? Go back to the list. What am I listening to and watching and hearing and being exposed to? What am I posting? Is that in those seven things that I should be thinking about? have this conversation with my offspring all the time oh you're anxious about things well say what are you what did you just binge watching oh well I know but I don't I I know that's not a good show but you know it's just it's just you know it's just what it's in your mind now oh I know that's not good song and those aren't good lyrics but 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 what they're in your mind now you've heard them And you think it's okay, and then all of a sudden when an anxious time happens because you've got all those thoughts in there, guess what? They didn't have room for God's peace that passes all understanding. Oh, you're just being an old man grumpy guy. It's real. We let it in, and that's what comes out. That's why we feel anxious. And we need to think about those seven things. Paul says to the Romans, do not conform to the pattern of this world. And let me tell you, music and videos and movies and all these things that are out there, I understand, and and I'm guilty as all, even sports. It's all great stuff, and in, in, in its place can be okay. But it does not, we are conforming to it. We are conforming to it. And Paul says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but what? Be transformed by the renewing of your what? Your mind. And when we take into our mind, that comes out. And Paul closes, practice godly actions you see in me. He's not being arrogant like we've talked about in some of his other letters. He's just saying, when you live out the gospel, people see that in flesh and bone, and they go, that's what I want to be like. Mark Anderson did this for me, and I still remember it. Why would he do this for a 10-year-old kid? Because he was living out the gospel Those people who showed up at the wreck, I don't know, but I will never forget that, that they brought a sense of peace to me when my daughter was in a really scary situation. We've all had that. And Paul's saying, you know what? There's people in your actions. You can see that, and you emulate it when you see those good actions. You do that. Our thinking guides our actions, and God wants us to... Uh, Not have anxiety in our lives, but he wants peace. The war to be over for us to lay down those weapons of fear and anger and bitterness and angst and replace them with gratitude. With realization of joy and peace through Christ. Even in the midst of the hell we're going through. He wants us to realize that. And Paul closes with a powerful reminder. And the peace and the God of peace. Not that it was the peace of God, but now it's the God of peace will be with you. He will be with you. Paul reminds his readers of that and reminds us today. So we're going to offer that. Maybe there's somebody today who wants that peace. And it's not instantaneous. I'm not going to be ridiculous about that. But when you surrender and you say, God, I need you. I want you in my life. I can't do this on my own. And we surrender to him and we are ready to to name Jesus as our Lord and Savior and bury our old way of life in baptism and be resurrected to this new way of life we start to get that peace that passes all understanding. Even when, like I said, the hell that goes on around us is going on. So this morning we're going to offer that invitation. If there's somebody here that needs to make that decision, I'll try to walk you through it. If there's somebody's looking for a church, you know what, we're like the Philippian church. We got people that fight. <laughs> we got people that need to straighten their stuff out. We get anxious. We need to be reminded of those seven things, but we're a church that still names Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and we need Him and we acknowledge that. So if you're looking for a church like that, We make that uh, opportunity.